Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey guys, and welcome back to Medicus. My name is Rasa, and today we're continuing our journey in learning more about the various healthcare professions by speaking to Dr. Cindy Chow, who is an audiologist. Welcome, Cindy. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners, including your education and career progression? First and foremost, I always like to say I'm an audiologist in private practice. Audiologists can work in a variety of settings, which I'll talk a little bit more about later. But the big thing is what I do is very different than what other audiologists do. In regards to my education and career progression, I also took a little bit of a different path to this. I originally sought to be a speech-language pathologist, so I majored in communication sciences and disorders. And during that time, I recognized that I really liked the hearing science portion of things. So instead of applying to graduate school as a speech-language pathologist, I decided to pursue audiology. During this time, I also recognized that I really liked research. So I decided to tack on a PhD just, just for fun. Yeah. You don't need a PhD to practice audiology, but I really wanted to learn more about the research aspect of things and apply it to audiology. Didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time, whether work in academia as a professor or be a research audiologist or go into private practice, but it gave me more options. But the reality is you just need a four-year baccalaureate degree. It doesn't have to be in communication sciences and disorders. And then just apply to an audiology program. And then you get a clinical doctorate once you're done with that. So eight years total. It took me 12 years. I don't regret it. It was great. I just like to be an overachiever. (laughs) I love it. So what inspired you to pursue this line of work during your bachelor's degree in communication sciences and disorders? Well, this actually brings me back to when I was a child. When I was younger, I did not develop speech and language the way I should have. So I learned firsthand what a speech language pathologist does because I had one for many years in my life. And I was always like, I want to be just like Miss Anton when I'm older. Really started out there, continued through that into college. But during undergraduate, I was recognizing that with speech language pathology, there are 20 different ways to treat one underlying condition where audiology, there's a lot more science behind it, where if A, then B, if B, then Mm -hmm. C. And I really liked the science aspect of it and the neuroscience with it. Speech language pathology, it was a little bit more, everyone had their own approach to things, but audiology just had a lot more science to it. So that's when I decided to quote unquote, jump ship and pursue audiology. Unfortunately, at the time, they switched it from a master's degree to a clinical doctoral degree. So it was an additional two years for that. But if you're passionate about something, two years is not that big of a deal. So I still went with that. And then, like I said, I decided research was fascinating as well. So I just tacked that on as well. Sure. You kind of touched on this, but I just want to clarify what is exactly the education required now to become an audiologist? It is a clinical doctorate. So a doctorate of audiology Mm -hmm. can still practice with a master's degree. Those individuals have been grandfathered in. A lot of them, if they do move or switch 
jobs. A lot of them do require the doctoral degree as an entry level. So um, there are some online programs for those individuals to get the doctorate degree. Um, Yes, it is a doctoral degree to get it. But I like to emphasize it is a clinical doctorate, not a medical doctorate. But still four years. Yes. (laughs) Lots of training. So are there any specializations in the field after you train as an audiologist? Kind of thinking about like in medicine, we have residencies. Yes. And that's a really good point. So with audiology, you can specialize in a variety of areas. There's educational audiology where you work in the schools and you help children with their individualized education plans in those educational settings. Uh, you could be a vestibular audiologist. So the balance system is located within the inner ear. Mm-hmm. Those audiologists evaluate and make recommendations for individuals with vestibular concerns. In a hospital setting, you can do interoperative monitoring. So these audiologists actually go into the operating room and monitor a patient's hearing during surgery to help preserve hearing and therefore their quality of life while undergoing some procedures. There's cochlear implantation audiologists. So they work on the team to help restore hearing to an individual with hearing loss. Obviously, in ENT, the surgeon would go in and place the electrode array And then the audiologist works to program it to help the individual hear their best. Private practice where I work, you work with hearing aids to help restore hearing to individuals with hearing loss. And then just some other areas that we do, we do tinnitus treatment. A lot of individuals with hearing loss have ringing in the ear. So we try and treat that as well. My practice does do industrial audiology as well. I was just telling Raza before this, my husband's going out on a job tonight to work third shift to test the hearing of workers at a factory who are exposed to loud noise. So there's this whole area of industrial audiology where these loud factories have workers that need to have their hearing protected. And if they are exposed to this loud noise, you want to catch it early, not later. Mm -hmm. So there's that area, forensic audiology. So just working on legal cases related to the origin of the hearing loss or tinnitus. Um, Then in a newer area of audiology is the central auditory processing disorders. So individuals or you think of newborns, they pass that newborn hearing screening, but they're still not developing speech and language. What could happen is they can hear correctly and appropriately, but they're not processing what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. So it's a type of hidden hearing loss, I guess you can say. Sure. The auditory system's ability to process what they're hearing is just not what it should be. So there's this whole area of audiology known as central auditory processing disorder. So these are all the different specializations that we can have. We learn about all of it. And then usually in our final year of our doctorate program, you go on site and you actually learn in depth about like private practice, vestibular, whatever it might be. And then individuals choose during that time, like this is what I want to go into. Different than the MD in that like you have four years of training and then you apply for your residency and specialize. Mm -hmm. We get that specialization training during our program and then we fine tune it during that time as well. It sounds like you can choose no matter what, right? So in residency, we sometimes don't get our top choice, right, of the specialty that we want. But in this field, because it sounds like you're already in the program, it's just based on your interests of where you want to practice eventually, correct? Correct. And the other thing too, is like we learn in depth about all of these things, which Mm -hmm. is great. But as you probably are familiar with and everyone listening is, if you don't use it, you lose it. So 
I'm only five years out. I would not touch interoperative monitoring or vestibular testing with a 10 foot pole right now because <laughs> we're learning about it, practicing it and never using it again. If I ever wanted to go back to it, I would have to like get training in it, talk to another audiologist in that area, shadow them, learn it again to feel comfortable. Um, but it's not like what you were saying where it's like in your residency, you apply, you hope to get it, you might not get your top choice. Right. So that's the nice part with audiology is you can kind of jump around between the specialties. And I know some audiologists who actually do that as well. Like you get bored in one area, you switch to another. I know some audiologists, like when they have children, they prefer to go into educational audiology because mm-hmm. then they have the school schedule with their families. Sure. It's nice because it sounds like medicine, if you don't like your specialty, you have to do a, another residency to practice. But here, it sounds like it's more like you find mentors, you get additional training as you need it, as opposed to going into some dedicated program. Correct. So yeah, that's wonderful. You really, I think with this question answered beautifully, a lot of other questions I had, but if you were just to summarize in just a couple of words, the role of an audiologist in treating patients, what would that be? So the audiologist really helps individuals hear better by treating hearing loss, tinnitus, and balanced vestibular related concerns. Like I said, we're not an MD. So some people make the mistake in coming to us and they'll be like, oh, I have an ear infection. We mm-hmm. can do the test like a middle ear analysis, tympanometry, and show that there's fluid behind the ear, but we cannot prescribe an antibiotic for you. Sure. You would have to go see your primary care physician or an ENT for that. We can test your hearing to see how your hearing is affected by the ear infection. But again, we don't medically treat anything. Mm-hmm. Same with perforation in the ear. So I had a patient this week come to me and they're like, oh, my hearing just suddenly was gone. And I took a look in her ear and I see this massive hole in her eardrum. I confirmed it with a tympanometry and I'm like, okay, um, your hearing's gone. I can confirm that, but I'm going to have to refer you to ENT to monitor it, hope it heals itself. If not, they can surgically go in and put a patch on the ear and hopefully return that hearing. That's where I like to say we treat hearing. We don't do any medical intervention. And we always hope that with hearing loss, if there is a medical intervention that can help, that they pursue that. Mm-hmm. And they're able to get some return in hearing naturally. Because hearing aids, they help improve hearing, but nothing will restore your hearing to normal. The other thing, too, that's tricky with hearing is you can have two individuals with the exact same hearing loss, mm-hmm. have the same hearing aids with the exact same programming, and they'll have completely different listening outcomes. One wow. individual will hear with like 100% clarity, like things are restored almost to normal. They're hearing great. They're doing well. And another person, it could just make things sound even more jumbled. And again, this comes back to the ability to process what you're hearing. So we're highly trained in understanding the different areas of what works for an individual to help them hear their best. It's different for everyone and we can program the hearing aids accordingly. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like restoring hearing with hearing aids is kind of a very like bread and butter of a typical audiologist. Can you go into a little bit of how exactly that works? Because I know you're in private practice. So when someone comes to you to get fitted for a hearing aid, what exactly is the procedure for that? 
That's a good question. So when someone does come to our office and they're like, hey, I'm really struggling to hear. I think I might need a hearing aid. We'll do a full evaluation. We take a peek in their ear. We make sure there's not wax occluding it. Do that middle ear analysis, tympanometry, make sure the eardrums are moving correctly the way we want them to. And then we'll stick them in a sound attenuated booth and we'll test their hearing. We try and get an idea of like what they can and cannot hear. And that'll give us an idea of like, oh, you have a normal sloping to severe hearing loss. So think of a piano. You have the low pitches and the high pitches. You could hear better in the low pitches, but you might not hear as well in the high pitches. Mm-hmm. This is typical of age-related hearing loss. Sure. So then we're like, okay, you would be a good hearing aid candidate based off of what we're finding here. But then we also test their ability to recognize words and repeat them. So we'll present words in quiet environments and noisy environments. Mm -hmm. And if people are able to hear the words and repeat them back correctly, that shows that their processing ability is good and that they would be a good candidate for hearing aids. But if they're struggling to process the words, they might need some auditory rehab. They're going to have to have their auditory system become reacquainted with sounds they haven't been hearing. So it's called oral rehab. So it's almost like a therapy that you go through to help retrain your brain to process sounds. And who does that type of rehab? Is it an audiologist? An audiologist can do it. Speech language pathologists also do it as well. So there's a little bit of overlap there. But at the end of the day, it's recognizing what people can and cannot hear and process and then treating them accordingly. We also program the hearing aids based off of these results as well. So if they have a standard hearing loss, the word recognition is good. We can program the hearing aids to meet something called targets. And it basically is a correction for the hearing because they're Mm -hmm. doing the word rack. But if they're really struggling with the word rack, we might um, make some adjustment to the targets because we're really trying to reintroduce sounds and make it comfortable for them that they can recognize. And I call it baby steps to hearing. Again, reintroducing those sounds with the correct identification so then they can start processing them correctly. That's really interesting. Can you talk about, and I know you mentioned this a little bit with your case where the person came with a perforated eardrum, but How do audiologists fit in with the rest of the healthcare team? And again, maybe illustrating with an example. And I don't know if you remember from, you know, your studies, how things went when you're in a hospital setting versus private practice. So audiologists play a small role on those multidisciplinary teams. Mm -hmm. So for example, when there's a child and they're being tested for autism, sometimes it's, is the child not listening? Or does the child have hearing loss? So an audiologist is brought in to rule out hearing loss. And if there is hearing loss, the audiologist will be continually involved to help treat the hearing loss, determine the extent and all those things. Similarly, when you're evaluating someone with dementia, it's again, do you have hearing loss? What is the extent? Or is the dementia made worse by the hearing loss? I have a patient who actually does have dementia and hearing loss, but her hearing loss wasn't properly treated. Mm -hmm. When she came to me, her children were just like, yeah, she's basically gone. She doesn't communicate with us. She doesn't remember things. And when we properly treated her hearing loss, she was so much more engaged. And one of the kids was like, mom's back. It was just one of those things where they thought it was the dementia that she wasn't communicating and remembering. And it's really, she just wasn't hearing them. 
That's so rewarding. You know, I've seen those videos of children, right? Little babies being fitted for a hearing aid for the first time and hearing their parents' voice. I feel like seeing that is kind of a similar, you know, you just feel like you gave these people their life back. Oh, yeah. With the little kids, I don't work with them currently. However, I did do a rotation and it's hard and rewarding when you give the parents the initial diagnosis of hearing loss. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And I know in the medical profession, you guys deal with a lot of hard, hard things, even harder than hearing loss itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you're able to bring a child's hearing back and allow parents to interact with their children with voice communication. It's, it is really cool to see like just the kids, like their eyes open up, like, what is this? (laughs) So that's also really fun. So yes, audiologists do work on a variety of multidisciplinary teams. How large of a role they play depends on if the individual has hearing loss or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So usually audiologists might be brought in and if there's no hearing loss, they're obviously taken off because they're not needed any longer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really the extent of the role they play depends on the diagnosis. And that makes sense. So are there any instances, and I know you mentioned rehab as a instance where speech language pathologists can can take that over, but are there instances in which the conditions treated by an audiologist overlap with other healthcare professions? Mainly what we talk about with the oral rehab, but also um, we overlap a lot with ENTs. Mm-hmm. Um, so ENTs, they might try to treat the hearing loss, but they go with a medical surgical intervention, whereas we go by other means, such as with hearing aids. Sure. Working with ENTs, there's different types of hearing losses. I talked um, about the central auditory processing, the sensory neural hearing loss, where there's loss of the sensory system in the cochlea, but there's also conductive hearing losses. So that's where the middle ear bones just like might not be working appropriately or they might be missing. So an ENT might actually surgically place a Baja or bone anchored hearing aid on the mm-hmm. temporal bone. And then the audiologist works with the ENT to program a hearing aid that fits that. So then they can hear through their bones, essentially. So a lot of audiologists work in ENT practices and they work together to help an individual hear their best. They might do some surgical intervention, but also using other means like hearing aids or bone anchored hearing aids or cochlear implants, but they all work together to try to help the individual hear their best. And again, this just goes back to an individual's quality of life. Mm -hmm. Your ability to hear us having this conversation right now is reliant on your hearing working correctly. If you couldn't process or make sense of what we're saying at this time, you would have probably tuned out in the first 30 seconds. (laughs) Definitely. What would you like our listeners, a lot of who are pre-medical and medical students, to know about the field of audiology and the role of audiologists? The biggest thing with audiology is we're hearing doctors. We treat hearing loss and tinnitus. Hearing is oftentimes taken for granted Mm -hmm. until it's gone. People just don't realize how important it is for their everyday social educational interactions. When it's gone, it's gone. The social and emotional impact can be great. So really, audiologists, people don't realize how important we are until they lose their hearing. And then we're their favorite person after that. (laughs) I love that. Are there any resources you can recommend for those who are interested in learning more about the field of audiology? 
The American Academy of Audiology, uh, you can just Google them. They Mm -hmm. have a lot of resources about what audiologists do, different like specialties, and you can like click on and learn more about them. And just know that in a variety of medical professions, audiology, you might encounter them depending on which areas briefly or more on a day-to-day basis. We really like to work with other specialists to help people hear their best because again, hearing is important. It's a quality of life and Everyone enjoys their music and podcasts. Definitely, but maybe tone the volume down a bit. (laughs) Yes, that would be great. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Chow. Really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about the field of ideology and enlightening our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.